Welcome to the Reconciliation Conversation. We want this podcast to be a space where we can expose hate, encourage love, equip for healthy reconciliation, and emphasize unity so that all people can know their value together as one. Welcome to another episode of the Reconciliation Conversation. As always, it is a pleasure to have you guys with us, and I'm excited for our, our guest today. This, this wonderful woman is a, a anti-racism cultural specialist. She's a writer. She's an author of What Lies Between Us, a journal and guide for fostering first steps towards racial healing. She's a TED Talker, senior consultant for the American Dream Game. She's a, a doctor where she received her PhD in education from Iowa State University. She's married to her wonderful husband, Nathan, and they have three little girls who are actually an inspiration for Brownicity, which we're going to talk about later on today. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you all Dr. Lucretia Berry. Dr. Berry, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Uh, yep. I can't even complain. I just am so full of gratitude and I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you for inviting me, Jason no, and Derek. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, thank you for yeah. joining us. Well, well, let's let's jump in. We want to start with uh, with what's most important. Obviously, what it is like to be to be a mom in this this current cultural moment that that we're in. You know, I know it's a challenge as as parents. Jason and I are having conversations with our kids, so we assuming that you're having conversations as well. In those conversations, what do you hope that your kids are going to remember from their childhood with regard to what their mom, their parents are emphasizing the most right now? Right. And that's so interesting that you asked that question because I've never thought about it this way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this these conversations around um, race, racism, anti-racism are so common in our family. I remember my uh, the second child asking me uh, years ago, like, mommy, how come all your books are about whatever, like skin tone? She w- that's what she would call it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I said, because people don't really know, like they don't understand. And, you know, and I told my children, like, you know, far more than most adults about, you know, skin tone, race, racism, anti-racism. And I think that, yeah, they thought I was making that up. Mm. Until they started to see on the news and, you know, just in society, all of the, uh, the, here's the things that they've known and we've been talking about. And suddenly these conversations that we've been having just around our kitchen table and in very casual ways, now they're seeing that the emphasis on, you know, the news and, you know, they're seeing, you know, even school curriculum shifting focus to, to, and to emphasize equipping and empowering, you know, students so that they aren't just kind of left in the dark about uh, mm-hmm. what is going on. And, you know, so we've, we have always taught them to um, question systemic authority, you know, and, and, and of course they probably at that, this age wouldn't use that language. Like mom, we are yeah. questioning, but, you know, but for example, <laughs> They like when certain commercials come on television, like we totally dissect the commercials. You know, Mm. we talk about certain, especially political ads, like, oh, how does this make you feel? You know, when they comment, well, what, how does that make you feel? And so why, why do you think that they're targeting or focusing on this or using these words? Like, why do you think that they're perpetuating fear? You know, (laughs) or something like, so again, like they, they know how to ask um, these questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping that they, um, they have learned, and again, they wouldn't be able to articulate it this way, but um, that we as individuals, as humans, as people, you know, as a society, 
um, should not abdicate our power to politicians mm. and people with more social, economic, and political power. Um, because just mm -hmm. because you have more money or more political status, or you know, for my children, more social media status, it doesn't mean that you know you know what's best for me. That I should be following you, following your lead, and it and it also doesn't mean that I as am not capable of creating the change that is necessary like or i am not capable of imagining and then cultivating a world that is possible so they've watched you know their mom and dad you know create so mm -hmm. you know have these conversations and through word through the word you know manifest and attempt to manifest what we believe is possible and so that's a recognizing of our you know, of our own personal power and then our power as a collective. So again, I don't think that they can articulate it that way, but I do yeah. believe that they are practicing it and have, you know, they have been practicing it. And so it's, it's, a, it's just normal and it makes sense for what's happening right now. That's good. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's, let's kind of move from there because I talk like keep going deeper into that because many use one humanity right? Mm -hmm. Like un unpack that thought a little bit and, and talk about what inspired Brownicity. Okay, great. So our family is multi-ethnic. I am African-American. My husband is um, white American. Uh, he probably would identify mostly as Italian, his Italian heritage mm -hmm. and knows more about that background. And so actually we met doing the work of integrating a historically black church. Cool. So we have a background in like anti-racism work, both academically and and practicing it in our lives. So when we got married, we were not naive about um, our our children's unique struggle as multi-ethnic children navigating our very hyper-racialized society. So yeah. me growing up in the South as an African-American you know, I was given a particular set of tools to navigate our hyper-racialized society. And my husband, you know, growing up in Iowa as a white male would, of course, have had a different set of tools. But, yeah, we had to be intentional about, OK, how are we going to prepare and equip um, our children? And um, anecdotes like, well, this is what we heard people saying a lot. Well, mama or daddy is chocolate and mama's vanilla and you are chocolate and vanilla swirl. OK, uh -huh. Yeah, no, that's not good enough. No. <laughs> like, well, you can't stand on that. You can't build on that, on ice cream. You can't build your identity on it's ice cream. It's going to melt. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. See, I hadn't even thought about that. It's going to melt. And then you're there confused. Lord. So, yeah. Help us, Jesus. Help us. So we needed, so we, we made room for, like, dialogue, thinking, and dreaming beyond the the binary, bipolar, you know, black, white, racial categories. And so, you know, humanity is complex and, you know, multi-everything. And we just wanted to make sure that we made space for that, you know, in our family, in our home. And we wanted to give our children the essence of who they are, but also understand, you know, when we walk out of this door, out, you know, out of our home as a multi-ethnic family, what society will try to impose on us. So with that, when our oldest was only four years old, you know, she said she observed that we were all hues of brown. She mm. said, mommy, you're light, you're dark brown and daddy is light brown and I'm medium brown. Yeah. And we loved how she, you know, had 
recognize the oneness of the human yeah. family, of our family, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we were like, oh, that's brilliant. And yeah. so with that, yeah, we, you know, we talked to her about melanin. And of course, yeah, mommy has more melanin because of where her ancestors were located geographically and they wouldn't have needed protection, you know, from mm-hmm. the sun. And daddy has less because of his ancestors and where they are located. And mm-hmm. they would have needed to observe, absorb, sorry, more of the sun's rays. So again, stuff like that is plain, simple. It makes sense. You know, you give yeah. your kids frameworks because they're always yeah. trying to make sense of yes. what is going on in the world. And so they can see, you know, uh, research shows that, you know, by the time they are five, you know, they are they're categorizing people. And by mm-hmm. the time they're seven, they are they can mimic or they, you know, what and mirror the social status, the social hierarchies of race that are present in our society. And so yeah, we yeah. wanted to make sure that they, you know, had had this language. So anyway, brown comes from the the that we are all hues of brown, like melanin. Brown mm-hmm. represents the word melanin. And then icity comes from the word ethnicity. And ethnicity yeah. means that which we have in common. Mm-hmm. So like many hues, one humanity is an expression of that. And then brownicity, yeah, it's just the representation of, you know, our daughter would, that's how she would describe people. So-and-so is yeah. brown like me, but has straight yes. black hair or so-and-so yes. is, you know, brown like daddy, but has gold hair or mm-hmm. so-and-so. She would even say, so-and-so is brown like me, but looks like her ancestors may have been from China, you know? So I know. Right. So she just, it would just, it gave us the, the scope we needed to have more complex and sophisticated conversations, not, you know, but also we don't, we did not negate the -hmm. history of race in our country and race as a construct. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I love that. So uh, I too. Um, so my my wife is white, and so our two kids. My my daughter is fair skin. My son is just a little bit lighter than I am, and then obviously my wife. Mm-hmm. My son, when he's around three or four, without like he would actually do the same categorization mm-hmm. of brown. It's like I'm, you know, it was like during the summertime when Rachel mm-hmm. would would tan <laughs> up a little bit, right? And he said, you know. Daddy's dark brown. I'm, you know, medium brown. True's light brown. Mommy's white brown is what he would say. Oh wow! I like white brown and white, white brown, brown, right? And it's like, yeah. and as, as you were telling that, you know, with your daughter, it's like, man, it's like it's so interesting how kids, you know, how they view the world, right? Mm-hmm. How they are taking these things in, and you know, the fact that you, you know, kind of walked through that with your with your children, not only your children but so many mm-hmm. others now, mm-hmm. to kind of begin to build this framework out. It's just super encouraging. I love it. No, thank you. So good. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this. So obviously, uh, the work that you're doing with anti-racism and, and things like that, what would you say are three essentials that you view as as musts mm-hmm. when when you engage in teaching foundational anti-racism education for liberation? Yes. Great question. As you know, I developed a, a curriculum, which is called What Lies Between Us. Mm-hmm. And I've been teaching it for years. And because What Lies Between Us, I developed for to be taught in churches. So when I was invited to schools and companies, I couldn't take, you can't take scripture. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I called it, I have the same educational 
units, the same everything, just okay. without, you know, the scripture. And, and it's called uh, foundations. But I feel like, you know, it's people need the same to get a good start, to get a good understanding, to expand their scope or to condition themselves to move forward in a healthy way. You mm-hmm. have to have an understanding of history, number one, and mm-hmm. not just European centric, centered, you know, or centric history, yeah. but, the, you know, the history of, you know, the United States and the history of how race was created and used as a, a caste system in the United yeah. States yeah. and how it has worked into every system and then has then, of course, perpetuated and narrated our beliefs and our practices as communities and individuals. You have got to understand that. You don't, you, you might not have to, you don't necessarily have to know every date, you know, every policy, every law, um, but you do have to understand the, um, the mechanism and how it was created, invented, you know, implemented, and is still doing its job 400 years. Yeah. So number one, like you can't, I feel like if you, it's like, you don't even have room to ask the right questions if you don't, you know, have an understanding um, Mm -hmm. or have access to, you know, the history. Mm -hmm. And then um, number two, you have to have an analytical lens for systems because, you know, in our American culture, we tend to be very individual focused, right? Mm-hmm. Like re- I remember growing up in school, learn- learning about rugged individualism. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, I know that is not a thing, you know, <laughs> not, it's a myth. And when, yeah. you know, everybody is depending upon everybody and everybody yes. needs some help and everybody, yes. got, you know, well, most groups have gotten help. I'll just say it that way. So, mm-hmm. um, you, but you have to be able to think, yeah, have an analytical lens for systems and how, you know, Yes, machines, mechanisms work together. Yeah, we 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 falsely believe in the rugged individualism and you know meritocracy. Like, oh, this person got here because of their hard work. Well, lots of people work hard because even in church, aren't we taught that Jesus is our personal savior, right? So yeah. that's even been personalized, and we don't Man, even. Think I'm about glad that. that you had to go back yeah. to that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, real. For real. <laughs> yeah. So you. That's right. Yeah, and it's like Jesus is talking to all these people, and then we just make it about me. Like he's talking to me. <laughs> so, um, so you again. Uh, so you have to have an analytical uh, lens for systems, community, and then you have. And number three, you have to have an analytical lens, or I'll just say introspection of self. Mm-hmm. And so again, a lot of people want to focus on what they did, like mm-hmm. they, them you know, not me, not me, but we have all been kind of just marinated Mm -hmm. in, you know, um, generations of systemic uh, racism or systemic injustice. And so it has impacted all of us. And so Mm -hmm. we all sit in this trauma, I call it, we sit in this wound of trauma and we all need to be healed. Um, So that's why, you know, even in my curriculum, which is for beginners, um, a major part of it is people engaging in introspection. Like I write these questions. I I wrote these questions that you must ask yourself in order to get your brain to to search for some answers or to search within or Mm -hmm. to even recognize how you have been impacted. And the funny thing about the, you know, when I do have the introspection 
if people haven't met me and they're just reading the book, um, sometimes their own, you know, fear or shame or guilt, you know, get in the way. And I'm speaking specifically of white people. And they go, she's trying to, she's trying to make us feel guilty or something. And I'm like, no, I'm really not doing that. Honestly, the curriculum that I developed was, is a model or a mirror of my own racial healing journey. I had to heal, right. I had to heal from, you know, narratives, ideas, practices and beliefs. And so, you know, the questions that are there, you know, having this self lens is so important mm-hmm. to, to our healing individually and as a community and as a nation. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Talk about just how you want, how it's possible for families to actually engage with brownicity and the things that you train in. You know, that's actually my favorite part of this work is uh, working with kids and teaching kids. I don't know if you know this, but I teach anti-racism 101 to high school students. Awesome. <laughs> it's so much fun. And then um, I'm also a consultant for the school and I get to go into the elementary classrooms and read books and talk to the children. And they, um, you know, they, they are not full of fear and they, it's like, it's not intimidating. It's like they are so glad that someone came in and gave them some positive language and some and some knowledge and permission. And then it's like opening a box or open the floodgates. And then they just have all these wonderful questions and they have very sophisticated conversations. And this is what their teachers tell me, like, OK, after you came and did your workshop or did your thing. I overhear my kids saying these things and, and, you know, and teachers will say before I would not have allowed my children, I would have hushed them or silenced them, but they, they got it, you know, and we talk about leaders who are creative and, and use the creativity to disrupt the status quo. When I designed a curriculum or when I design events to, and to gather people, to educate them, um, there's always the aspect, it's always pointing towards the children. And so it's equipping parents, equipping teachers to engage with kids. So even when we've done our our virtual uh, five-week courses, there's a whole module called Engaging with Kids. So as parents um, or teachers or whomever, adults, pastors, youth pastors, as you're going through week by week, there is something there for you to either bring your children into the conversation or to engage kids into the conversation as you learn, because we can all be learning together. And so we have to kind of do double duty to fill the gaps we have or to fill in the deficit. And so it's like, we have to move forward and, you know, and get education ourselves, but also educate our children because we don't want them to be as, you know, we don't want them to be neglected the way that we were, you know, when we weren't given this, knowledge um, and understanding through our institutions of education, like schools and churches. So I, that's my heartbeat. And that's why I do, I, I do this work from such a place of hope, I think, because I get to work with and, and focus a lot of my work towards uh, children. My family, because of where I grew up, we've tried to say that person is a lighter skinned or a darker skin. We've never, so we've tried to honor the colorfulness of, our, of, of each other mm-hmm. and the beauty of it. In a, in a similar way, we, we also have tried hard to try to help our, our girls, especially understand the beautiful leaders that they could be. You're a brilliant leader 
in my opinion, period, right? Like <laughs> you, you, you happen to be female. <clears throat> and so I'm not trying to get you in trouble with any of the male leaders around you. But, but I think if, especially if there are male leaders listening that have been in dominantly male leadership cultures, right? It's sometimes helpful to get a perspective from an incredibly sharp female leader or a great leader who happens to be female, like I said. And, and so what would you challenge a lot of the male leaders out there that maybe haven't taken some of the steps you've taken to even cultivate for a change in this arena, right? How would you challenge them, no matter the color or the hue of their skin, Mm-hmm. How would you challenge them as male leaders just to to think maybe a little bit differently in the midst of this moment? <laughs> I think the answer is in your question. What you said, mm-hmm. can you think differently? <laughs> uh. I, 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 know. <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, this is a challenging question. So I'll see if <laughs> I can, can answer it, you know, because yes. And to your point, I think I, I feel like, um, you know, again, in our culture leadership, it can often be just kind of relegated or minimized or limited to like, like a traditionally male or patriarchal image. And initially I wrote, well, let's be like moms. Can we all just be like moms? But then, <laughs> but some moms aren't, you know, some people. Yeah. So I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I throw that out, like, and delete. So I did delete it. <laughs> like, but, you know, can we have, can we have leadership that is can be focused on nurturing, um, you know, care for for building people, you know, understanding that we're all siblings over being um, competitive? Yes, mm. yes, so competitive and conquering because that you know is a common <laughs> approach yep. for leadership, yep. and it's often associated. I mean, I know women, you know, are can be that way as well too. So. But I think that's the leadership model that we tend to, we've accepted for so long. And so we just all make room for leaderships that, or leadership models that are not so maybe competitive and and based on conquering and how how many people at your church today or how many people, you know, what if, (laughs) or how many people, you know, if, if, you know, we could focus on, you know, building people, um, I have cooperative and collaborative over competitive and conquering. I love to see, and I try to be as a leader vulnerable. So telling the truth about, um, in this work that I do, and I'm so fortunate that I have been able to, I'm going to say mentor, (laughs) My father-in-law, who um, he is Pastor Dan Barry, he is a white, you know, he would c- call himself or consider himself a white evangelical pastor. You know, mm-hmm. in Iowa, pastoring a multi-ethnic church has been for decades. He's about awesome. to retire, but I'm fortunate to be able to mentor him. And yeah, like, you know, the it's like, dad, the way you've pastored the church when you move forward into like this ministry of racial healing and anti-racism, you have to move in a different energy. And so vulnerability, you know, letting people see um, your journey, telling your story, starting with 
your faults, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? mm-hmm. most leaders don't want to do that. Starting nope. with your faults. Yeah. Your insecurities, your, you know, your weaknesses and, and your, in, yeah, like those things, um, leading, leading out of those and allowing people to kind of, you know, to lean into your, your, your vulnerability is so necessary. And I, that yeah. I have never seen that fail in this area of racial healing and anti-racism. When someone says, a leader says, I used to think this, or I used to, you know, I used to think this, and then I learned this. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. I do this. People. People listen. People, yep. people yep. listen. So nobody wants mm-hmm. the whole, like, let me preach at you about yep. white privilege, or let me preach at you about, like, no, that's not the energy that we can move uh, forward. And then we need creativity because, you know, we can't keep perpetuating this racial status quo. And oftentimes traditional ways of leadership do perpetuate. Yeah, the racial yeah. That's really good. And that, the, the reason I asked, I love that you answered it the way you did. because okay. I, 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 I was hoping let me tell you why I asked the question. I, I asked it because I feel like I keep noticing not only in myself, but in others as well, the, the blockage or some of the impasses that are present because of just the normal way we've done leadership or the, so you know, good. and so how, so, so how sometimes having another perspective doesn't matter that you're female or not. Right. But it just so happens that being a female, though you do bring sometimes, this is a stereotype, I get it. (laughs) But stereotypically, stereotypically as a female leader, you're going to bring some empathy to the table Mm -hmm. that oftentimes we don't have. You're going to bring some other perspectives emotionally to the table that are incredibly helpful, right? Like, Right. Like we haven't translated some of these things into our right. emotions. Mm-hmm. And so my, my heart in asking the question was very much a, we could learn yeah. for, we could, we could submit to the learning and the insights of a great leader who happens to be female yeah. mm-hmm. and quit acting like we know how to do all this. I think yeah. we would sharpen each other. That was the heart behind it. So I really appreciate yeah. you answering. Oh, that. that was good. And, and I do feel that it's because of how we have marginalized as a society, we've marginalized women to a degree. But mm-hmm. I've always said, look, in the margins, I've been over there in the margins doing all kinds of wonderful things. So I, will, <laughs> I love that. All, all the wonderful things I've been doing in the margins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, if you enter me, then you get to benefit. You see? Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I love that. It's like, listen, I, I've got my table over here. I've, I've been eating at this table over here. I, man, I love that. I love That's that. Word for like, golly. That's, That's good. good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, Dr. Barry, uh, and, and wrapping up, obviously we always, you know, try to give our listeners some, you know, applications, some next steps that they need to be taken in their in their own personal life. And we always want to ask, you know, our, our guests, what are some, what are one or two takeaways that you would give our listeners? What's a next step that they can take, you know, in in seeking to live a life of of reconciliation or as you say in a lot of your training, uh liberation. What are some some of the next steps that some of our listeners should be taking? Well, I mean, my number one step, I'm an educator. So I'm always going to say education. And I believe education is a powerful tool 
mm-hmm. to help people grow not only in consciousness and competence, but in confidence. And so when you learn this stuff, you become more confident. You don't feel like the insecure, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. idiot. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to say it. I'm afraid I'm going to do the wrong thing. Like, no, you, you're standing on solid ground. And for me, you know, I, I feel like education and it was all God designed. So, mm-hmm. you know, education was what opened up the capacity for me to get the revelation about mm-hmm. transformation. So I had to know first, right? I had to know yeah. first and then I could hear about, you know, what to do and how to move forward. So number one is education. And then number two, I really do think people should, you, you need a support group because when you begin to, when, yeah, when you, you, you can grow, say that, you can say that again out yeah, loud. <laughs> yeah. When you start growing, you know, and expanding and, you know, not being the popular kid anymore or whatever. Yeah, you need some cheerleaders. You need some hand-holding, yep. somebody to mm-hmm. hug you when you feel alone. Because that, that's a part of um, a learning journey, especially when it's, you know, when, when it's pushed up against. Where, I'll just say when it's the beginning of, mm-hmm. sh- of, a, of a, a shift that has mm-hmm. been, you know, 400 years in the making. You know, mm-hmm. so you need uh, a support group. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, I appreciate that, Dr. Barron. We appreciate you. You know, we want our want our listeners to to know where they can continue to learn, where they can follow you. You're on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's your handle for for different people so they they know how to how to stay in uh, touch with you? Well, I love Instagram, so I'm Lucretia Berry, but Brownicity is Brownicity. Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, and Facebook, and so we're always teaching there and at brownnesscity.com. Awesome. Awesome. And you didn't necessarily give, you know, too much, um, uh, a way for people to, you know, hit you up if they wanted to find out more about, you know, your, your study guide and things like that. Mm-hmm. But if someone wanted to church leader or, you know, a school or something like, Hey, we want to learn in this, we want to grow in this. Mm-hmm. How can they connect with you in that? So they can, you know, maybe get you to come in and teach them a little bit yep. or get a hold yep. of your, uh, your work. Yeah, you can um, email or contact us at connect at brownicity.com or just go to brownicity.com and click on the connect button. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Love it. Love it. Well, Dr. Barry, we want to thank you for your time and for uh, our listeners. Thank you again for tuning in on the Reconciliation Conversation. We'll join you. Uh, well, not join you. You'll join us next time uh, as we continue the conversation. Take it easy. Thank you. Thank you for joining in on the Reconciliation Conversation. Remember, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Recon Combo. You can also stay connected with us through our website, reconciliationconversation.com, or feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel under No More Night Media. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.